in a world where jobs are how most people make money. One man, one desire, one challenge dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money. Money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion advised. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where cash flow is king. Real estate investing, the means, so you can enjoy your retirement dreams. This is the show where we cut right to the chase. No sales pitch, no long monologues, just simple how-to real estate investing advice, so you can earn the passive income you need to enjoy your retirement today. And now, your host and chief old dog, Bill Manassero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manassero, and this is a show where 50 plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid, no sales pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays. And if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs, spelled D A W G S find our podcast and subscribe. Well, we have a great show for you today. We have a gentleman named John Maxim, and John is a self-made millionaire and hands-on expert house flipper who has fixed and flipped over $500 million of real estate for profit, charity, and the community. He started his real estate empire by living under a stairwell, creating a $1,000 a month in passive income by renting out his home to nine friends. Today, the 20-year real estate veteran has a massive portfolio and still flips 100 homes a year. From wholesaling to property management, nightly rentals, house flipping, mortgages, lending, commercial, residential, John has held almost every job in real estate. He has founded multiple seven-figure businesses and all the while using his success to give back. Maxim holds biannual treasure hunts in Salt Lake City, burying $10,000 cash for winners. Now, this is going to be interesting to talk about. In his spare time, he flips homes for families and need free of charge. John is a father of five, failed stand-up comic, hobby filmmaker, and background beekeeper who has saved over 70 raccoons in the state of Utah. Well, John, I am really stoked to, to meet you here, and I want to find out, how did you get into real estate with that kind of a background? Just accidentally got into it. It's not, I never like woke up and thought, man, I want to get into real estate or be a real estate flipper. You know, you heard on there, kind of a failed stand-up comic and filmmaker, like, you know, I mean, entertainment is always kind of more what I, what I dreamt about, you know, but then... Uh, while I was going to college um, in film school, me and a, a couple of roommates decided to buy a house because it was cheaper than renting. It's, you know, simple motivation. Mm -hmm. And um, we got this house that had a it had a detached garage. Originally, it, it had a one car garage, and that had been converted into like a, a dance studio or something. So we had the brilliant idea: well, the four of us can put bunk beds in this old converted garage. 
Um, and then we can rent out the four bedrooms and then we don't have to pay anything. And next thing we know, we're like, wow, th this is amazing. And I actually, this is way before Harry Potter ever came out. I moved in under the stairs. I had a dresser and a mattress on the floor under the stairs right off the, the basement living room. Oh my goodness. And, uh, I moved in down there so that I could rent out my bunk spot for $250 a month to somebody else. And so it kind of became the big joke, the house of nine. We had nine guys. It was kind of a unofficial fraternity there. And it was a, it was kind of an eye opener. I don't know if it was my light bulb moment, but it was an eye opener for me that, you know, your, your money and real estate can really work for you because I, at that time in my life, pretty much like donated plasma and lived off the rent that we received passively from renting out to all these guys. And then of course all the parties were at our house because we had all the people. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you've got an instant fraternity there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of worked out that way. So it, it kind of got me started into real estate where with that, I thought, Oh man, I, I need to go get my real estate license. I had somebody kind of recruit me to uh, work for her and I was her assistant for the first year and I made a whole bunch of money working for her as an assistant, just as an agent. And I, you know, of course thought I was pretty awesome. So I quit that first year. I made like, I don't know, $80,000. I stopped going to college cause I thought we got all this money in real estate. And then I went out on my own and, uh, I don't think, I don't even think I made more than 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't give her credit for her, um, SOI and all the years of experience and all that stuff, you know? Um, and so I, I kind of dabbled in the agent thing. I played in mortgages, but never really like took off or got successful in the beginning there. Um, and then right before, um, the market got super crazy, I, uh, I got divorced and things really took a turn for me and my, uh, I was starting to lose my home to foreclosure. Um, and uh, this story is a little crazy. Forgive me. You're, I, some of your listeners might tune out right away because it's kind of bad back then. But, you know, I'm, I'm going through a divorce. I'm losing my house to foreclosure. And I had gotten really good at loan modifications and things like that. So I, I kind of knew how to push my mortgage off and off and off and off and off. And I wasn't making good decisions. I wasn't in a good place. And I got really far behind on my mortgage. And I still had renters and things. And uh, we finally get a notice that they're going to sell the house at foreclosure following Monday. Hmm. Me and my, me and my roommates were watching the movie hot rod where he decides to jump over a bunch of buses to raise money to save his, to, you know, pay for his dad's cancer. And we're all sitting on the porch as I'm giving everyone the news, like, Hey guys, they're, they're doing an auction on Monday and we're going to have to move out. Um, and we kind of joked like, why doesn't ever, why doesn't anyone ever do that stuff like they do in movies? You know, like the Goonies go find treasure, the hot rod thing. So, I had this little car, this little station wagon. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go on the internet and say, I'll light this car on fire. If you'll loan me $20 and I can save my house from foreclosure. And so I started this kind of internet campaign. It was before GoFundMe or anything. And people just showed up and I raised $20,000 in three oh, days. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of went viral. It was this crazy thing like, oh, this guy's going to light his car on fire. It's stupid. And let's loan him some money. And, you know, um, and, and what happened was, is I got the money and I was able to get it in a cashier's check. And, you know, when they auction off your house, they, it's actually at a courthouse. Yeah. Courthouse steps usually, right? Yeah. Courthouse steps. So I go down there and there's this attorney with his little booklet 
and I run in there. I haven't had any sleep for three days. You know, I look homeless waving this check. I'm like, Hey, don't sell my house. Don't sell my house. And he's like, well, we're not even ready yet, but show me what you got. And so I hand him the check, which fully reinstates my loan. And he's like, okay, yeah, we, we won't do the auction. We'll reinstate your loan. And I, I sat there and I looked around at these courthouse steps and there's, I don't know, 18, 25 guys and they're in shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts and they're bidding on these houses for 200, 300, $400,000. And I just, that was my light bulb moment when I'm looking at these guys who make a living doing this. And I thought, these are my people. I mean, look, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're young, they're working on, on houses, they're bidding like this looks so much fun. And I just, after that moment, got my house saved from foreclosure. I did light my car on fire, which <laughs> I had to spend a weekend in jail for because it's not something that's 100% legal oh unless you do, do all the right things. And um, I paid everyone back, actually, my, the 20000 after time with, with interest, just like I promised on my on my blog. But, um, but I just set out to learn everything I could about buying homes at foreclosure. And that's what really kind of started my journey in kind of a specific way towards doing all the things that I've now done in real estate. I, I, I had to really kind of hit rock bottom and, and find out that uh, – that that was even out there and it was a possibility, you know? So did you uh, connect with some of those guys that were standing out there? And, uh, uh, you know, that's where you started to basically learn how, how to do that. Not at that moment. Um, but I did, I did know a guy who was, um, who did that. He wasn't there that day. And so I kind of reached out to him and he had me go to some, some RIA meetings and I went to a couple of those and I got online and just spent hours and hours and hours watching YouTube videos and reading blog posts and all these kinds of things about how things are done. And I didn't uh, go the route of a mentor right away, but this, this one uh, guy, Mike, who had been doing it, um, he kind of helped me a little bit with some things and I could call him with questions and that, that was great. And then when I finally flipped my first house, he was the guy I called and we, I, he ended up partnering with me cause I couldn't figure out how to do the, the rehab money. You know, I was able to find a loan and some of the other stuff, but I couldn't quite figure out how that worked. And so I ended up partnering with him and kind of doing my first flip, uh, with a, with a, a partner slash mentor at the time. And how much did you make on the house? I made $6,000 after seven months. It was actually not great, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, it was a big learning experience. Um, and, um, it started me on kind of another journey too, because it was a, a house that was over a hundred years old. And, uh, I kind of learned that we went way overboard because of the age of it and not taking that into account. Uh, my next flip, which I did without him, without a partner, uh, I did make like 30 grand on it. It was like the biggest paycheck of my life. It was amazing. So just the rest is history now. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now you started specializing in older houses, uh, didn't you? Yeah. And that, um, also kind of happens by accident, but it's, you know, in real estate in whatever market you're in, your, your reputation becomes what you do. Right. And so I, um, I live in a, in a really old part of Salt Lake called the Marmalade District where, you know, all the homes are kind of built in the 1880s. And so I, I own an old house. The house I lit my car on fire to save is an old house. So I've done work and repair on it. And the, the first flip I did was an old house. And so when I started to not be really scared, I mean, it took five or six years before I think anyone would call me a specialist, but started to not be scared of the old houses and get 
more of them under my belt, my reputation started to be like, oh, a wholesaler finds out that he's got a hundred year old house and he has 10 other guys walk through it that are just balking at the enormous cost they would take to rehab it. They call me and I become the old house guy. And so then I do more old houses as a result because I kind of get that reputation of somebody who's not afraid to take down these older homes. Well, that has to be a, um, <laughs> that definitely has to be a skill because when I, one of the first uh, homes I got was a home built in 1900 and, uh, all kinds of surprises were happening all the time. Uh, and then I had another one in 1925 and same kinds of things. Um, it, you have to be pretty bold there and, um, and, definitely understand what you're doing. I mean, do you, do you kind of go in there firsthand, just replacing the mechanicals or, uh, what do you do to, um, to rehab a house that old? Um, almost always I'm going to like almost without question, unless it's been updated recently, which does happen. Uh, I'm going to have to redo electrical and HVAC plumbing is a little different, you know, plumbing, there's a lot of galvanized plumbing, which can become a problem, oh, yeah. but it isn't, isn't always. And so that we kind of have to take as it comes. Um, but like a lot of guys will go in and instantly replace all the cast iron drains and dig up the cement and do all this when cast iron actually holds up really well, so long as it was installed correctly. And there's things you can do to line those and preserve them and protect them so that they can last another 50 years. And so I don't, uh, immediately, like I'm not going to just change everything right away. I usually take a really close look. A lot of electrical nowadays on, on hundred year old homes has been updated at some point in the seventies or eighties. And so, so long as we're not talking about knob and tube, I don't go all the way unless I have to, you know, I'm putting in a new kitchen. Sometimes I have to add a new breaker box or something and, and update those. So I, I would say probably on half my homes, I'm forced to do all three of the mechanicals, the big three, um, but not always. And, and that's, that's kind of the thing with old houses. The way you make money on those is knowing what you don't have to do to sell it, uh, and, and kind of restraining when, when you don't have to do things, you know? Well, I would think it'd be real tempting, you know, with some of those houses are so beautiful and ornate. I mean, if the Victorian ones and so forth that you just, you know, want to go to town with it to kind of restore it back to the, you know, the, the beauty of when it was originally built, but I imagine that would be extremely costly. Um, do you sort of modernize it inside as opposed to sort of, you know, restoring the, you know, the old, the old look of that house? Just like everything with real estate. And I'm sure on the stuff you've done, you've found this to be true too. I, I kind of let the buyers guide me, you know, and of course, I don't have buyers walking through at the beginning, but I've done enough real estate to kind of know, like, what, what do buyers want? And, you know, there's different types of buyers. There's buyers who want a brand new house out in the outskirts of town, and there's buyers who want a hundred-year-old Victorian, right? But but what do those guys want? And, and what I've found is they want the charm of the old home, you know, the, the thick baseboards, the archways, the, the high ceilings, the exposed bricks, some of that stuff. But they don't want the function of the old. You know, there's not very many purists who are like, well, I want my tiny kitchen and my six fireplaces and, you know, some of the things that these old houses inherently have. They want open concepts still. They want big modern kitchens. They want to have the function and the charm. And so 
I'm always trying to kind of marry those two things, you know, I update the kitchens and bathrooms because buyers don't really want copper tubs with gravity flowed toilets and things like that. Right. They want a functional, nice, modern shower and bath with all the things. So it does, it does kind of require kind of deciding like, wh what are we going to do with this specific house? And the, some of the reason why a lot of other uh, flippers shy away from old houses is they like to just have a uh, kind of a cookie cutter, like we're going to do the same thing on every house. And with the older ones, you got to kind of sit down in each one of them and, and make decisions, you know, because of the way that they're all custom, really, once you get that old. Now, uh, a lot of flippers don't know who their buyers are going to be, as my understanding, right? I mean, you're, you're basically taking a house, redoing it, and, you know, do, redoing it to market so that um, you'll you know, you'll get your, your estimated, uh, return, right? Well, yeah, right. But I mean, you don't know exactly who your buyers are going to be, but you can kind of, you know, based on the other comparables and the research you do on other homes and flips, you know, yeah, I mean, there's certain neighborhoods that I know certain types of buyers require different things. Here's an example of that. Um, we've got this town North of us, like 30 miles called Ogden, Utah. It's a little, uh, little lighter market. It's not as expensive as Salt Lake, but very similar in, in, in everything really. Well, here in Salt Lake, we have this, uh, these older neighborhoods where, um, I have many, many times flipped hundred year old houses where the floors, we haven't leveled the floors. We've, we leave them crooked and you know, they've got slope to them and you put a dresser up and it leans forward, <laughs> back, like things that you think, Oh my gosh, there's no way a buyer would want these. But in salt downtown Salt Lake, the, the historic buyer has let us know that they're okay with that. They, they would prefer the charm and the historic. They're not really that concerned. And you know, obviously we can level a floor, but it, it, it's like you were saying, it costs a lot of money. And to go in and just say, because I would like a, a level floor and everyone else would, you know, you don't really know that in, until you try it out. This is, like I said, one example. So then uh, I did my first historic home up in Ogden. And I thought because Ogden's market was a little cheaper and softer that um, I could get away with the same thing. And so I did his house and we had a, a floor that sloped towards the front. You know, we check the foundations and make sure they're not sinking anymore and that everything's okay, you know, that it's not gonna be a continued problem. But after a hundred years, things settle. Anyway, the Ogden buyers let me know that Ogden folks are not okay with that. They don't care about the charm as much. And so I ended up after it sitting on the market for four months, I ended up having to level the floor out that I thought, man, if this house was in, down in Sugar House in Salt Lake, I could totally get away with this and it would have sold it for top dollar. But up here, these buyers have let me know that that's not going to fly. And so now when I do a, a, a old home in Ogden, I know that I, you know, I've got to make sure the floors are relatively level. That's a, that's a cost that I'm going to have to do when I, when I flip houses up there. Do you redo the, the wooden floor to try to maintain the original, um, wood, uh, wood floors on this? Yeah, the surface. Uh -huh. Yeah, as much as I can. I mean, first of all, again, it, it comes down, you know, I, I want to make money. Yeah, you know, I, I got to be clear that I don't just restore old homes because I love old homes. I do. But I also need to make a profit. The fun thing about hardwoods and restoring them is, you know, you can get away with that for $2, 250 a foot. Whereas if you bring in even LVP or laminate, you're going to be spending almost three, even for the cheap, like Home Depot stuff, once you bring install costs in and everything. So 
refinishing hardwoods is actually cheaper than most of your alternatives. The only thing cheaper than it is carpet, really. And there are certain spaces that you don't just want to throw carpet on, right? So um, I refinish floors a lot in the older homes. And, and that's the thing is that buyer who loves old homes, they love refinished floors. It's it's one of the things that they that draws them to those, you know. Oh, I think they would. Yeah. Uh, do you have certain carpeted rooms, or do you do, you do the whole thing? Typically, uh, in most homes, I'm going to carpet the bedrooms, um, unless they have beautiful hardwoods already in them. Occasionally, you know, if we have a main floor master or something, but to save on costs for a typical uh, median home price home, we're just going to carpet. We'll carpet the bedrooms and leave the hallway and kind of main areas as like a hardwood or, or hard surface. Right. Because that's kind of what people love. And uh, you are still flipping all your homes in Utah or in your area? Um, for the most part. I, uh, I did uh, take a few years where I thought the grass was greener and I tried uh, homes in other areas. I did some in, in uh, Dallas and Connecticut and Arizona and Oregon and California, kind of all over. And I, I just found that um, I'm not that kind of investor because um, you need to be a very, very organized person to manage your flips out of state. And you need to have a really solid team. And I'm not, I don't know, I'm not an A-type investor enough to do that. If I can't actually show up, I'm not good enough at follow-up to make sure those things get done. And so I, I left a lot of money on the table on some of those out-of-state properties. Now, I I did just do a home in Las Vegas just last year, and uh, I have another one in San Diego, but I have a, a partner on those, kind of boots-on-the-ground partner that allows me to do those. And so I only pick those up in specific cases. Most of the time, I like to be within 40 minutes of the property because my investing style, I need to go check it out, and I need to be able to call someone and visit them there and talk to them there and, and see it, you know? Right, right. Well, interesting. That that's uh, uh, now you've you've really been through the spectrum in terms of a lot of real estate activities. Um, you've uh, have you wholesaled uh, a fair amount, or uh, is that just something you know you started off doing a little bit and decided it wasn't for you? Or no, I actually um, I I don't wholesale as much in the sense you know nowadays. Um, I think you've been doing some of this before wholesaling was like a, uh, a buzzword, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> the, the wholesaling that we understand it as nowadays is, you know, they spend tons and tons of money on marketing and they're finding, they're finding the buyer and then they're just, instead of closing onto themselves, they're just selling the contract. Right. And so, um, I do wholesale and I've done a bit of that marketing and stuff, but again, that's, doesn't really fit my investment style and it's a lot of work, but I have the belief that if it's a deal, it's a deal. And so I say yes to everything that's a deal. But I also learned that I can only do so many at a time. And when, so when I get a deal that I don't have the capacity to do, but it is a deal, I will say yes to that deal and then I'll wholesale it. And I typically, um, you know, my, my bio says I flip 100 houses a year and that's flips and wholesales. I'm, I'm usually... Uh, you know, in the 50s, 60s of actual flips. And then I usually wholesale another 30 or 40 a year that are just deals that I found that are good that I don't have the capacity for. And so I sell them to other other investors. Are you dealing direct with sellers or wholesalers? I mean, who's your biggest uh, customer there? 
You know, that that kind of ebbs and flows with the market. Man, 2017, 18, almost every house I had, I, I bought from a wholesaler. Uh, and then the market kind of changed where wholesalers, as the, as as uh, uh, things have appreciated, wholesalers can also get more because the investors are kind of jumping up with them. And I found that I, I thought I was paying too much to wholesalers. So then I dealt more with stuff on the MLS or direct to sellers. Um, I, I kind of mix it up. I'm, I, 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 when I teach people how to find houses, I always tell them like, you need to hit everything a little bit each day. You, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, neglect one of your, you know, kind of your tributary tributaries to your deal flow. You want to call agents, you want to call wholesalers, you want to call other investors, you want to do a little bit of marketing with maybe, you know, you know, deal machine or something like that. And, and, uh, and mailers and things. But I, so I am, I, I mean, I, I actually spend, it's in my calendar an hour a day finding, and I usually focus on all different avenues at, at different times. And so right now I only have one of the 22 houses we're working on that we got from a wholesaler, which is completely different than two years ago. Wow. So it just, it just kind of changes with the market. And that's, I think the key to success is kind of changing with it, you know? And you've also got rental property too, right? Yes. And yep. is that part of your strategy is to build up your rental portfolio or is that just, uh, you know, it depends on the house and, and the situation. Yeah. Once again, I like to look at everything, you know, people always try to pigeonhole me, uh, wholesalers and stuff like, well, we just want to know what you want to buy so we can bring you those. And I'm always saying, I want you to bring it all to me because if it's a good rental, I'm going to keep it definitely early in my career when I was kind of cash poor, I flipped some homes that I, I looking back now, I wish I would have kept. And I'm sure every investor has that story. But, um, now as I'm, you know, I've got five kids, I'm getting a little older. I, I tend to see the cash flow as kind of a better, a better place for me. And so I have been turning more of my deals into long-term, uh, rentals than just straight flips like I used to do. But I, I you know, I, I once again, it just kind of depends on the, on the deal. And your bio mentions commercial, uh, uh, what have you gotten into on the commercial side? I do flips with, uh, commercial essentially. And it's more of kind of a flip slash wholesale situation where I'll find pretty dilapidated commercial properties and then, um, put them under contract and either try to sell them or take them down. And I don't usually do major improvements to them. Uh, I usually, uh, will do what in the commercial world they kind of call white boxing, I think, where, um, we just kind of demo it out, clean it up, spray everything white on the inside, and then kind of sell it to developers or other people in, in the interim. So I do have one that we've been working on for three years, but so we've held it for quite a, a long period of time. We've been able to rent out parking lot space and stuff. But it's just one of those unique deals where we can just find a way to make money. And now it's under contract and we're going to make way more money than we probably should <laughs> for, for stuff like that. And so it's, it's not something I definitely focus on, but I'm always, always looking, you know, I, I love hunting the deal down. It's one of my favorite parts. And so I'm always jumping on LoopNet to see if there's any commercial stuff that might've been neglected or overlooked or where maybe I can see a highest and best use that commercial agents, uh, you know, just like everything, they get a little lazy and think, oh, there's only one way to do this. And that's where some opportunity can be created for me and other folks, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of repurposing going on in the commercial world right now. <laughs> Definitely. And that's, uh, 
though you'll hear that industrial is one of the highest had the highest depreciation last year and it's not so much because there's so many uh you know industrial businesses that need space it's because people are buying those and then repurposing them to like mixed use office and retail industrial and all, all this kind of stuff so it's it's kind of a fun field to play and definitely not my bread and butter but i do have some pretty good successes with uh, with big projects here and there when they make sense that's great well, you jumped into this very with with just you had a short time. It sounds like with a mentor, and then took off on your own. Um, in that process, though, I imagine you encountered some mistakes along the way. Um, what would you say is maybe one of your biggest mistakes uh, in that process? <laughs> you know, I spoke at a, a lunch and learn meeting, and the guy introduced me as uh, the guy in Salt Lake who has failed the most, <laughs> which is a piece of my reputation that I'm proud of. And it's true. I, uh, I, I, I have found, you know, one of my, one of my biggest skills is my ability to just take massive imperfect action, you know, just jump in, bite off more than I can chew and chew it anyway, you know, but with that comes what's been probably my biggest, my biggest failures have come out of overextending myself where I, I will just take on another deal and take on another deal and take on another deal. And next thing I know, I'm holding deals for that. I should only be holding for four to six months for 18 months. And, you know, interest never sleeps. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so a lot of my, my biggest mistakes come from me, just not, not really, uh, respecting my capacity to, uh, to do deals. And I, uh, even, you know, just in the last two years, I got up to where I had 47 homes at once. Oh, gee. And I remember waking up after closing on home 47, I, you know, and stress isn't, I mean, I'm in a stressful business, so this doesn't happen to me very often, but I woke up and kind of in a cold sweat, like, oh my gosh. I mean, I think I'm paying somewhere in the range of like $9,000 per day in interest for all this inventory. Oh, gee. And house number 47, I, I won't even be able to start for six months. And, you know, I just started doing the math in my head and it, you know, it got really scary. And, and, uh, and it all came down to me just overextending myself and kind of running faster than I'm able to run. And so I would definitely caution people, uh, the more success you have, the more you think that, you know, you, you can do more and you can do more. And if I did, that one was easy. I didn't even have to walk into that house and I flipped it. I can do five more of those, but you know, that's not a reality scaling up a flipping business is, uh, is one of the biggest challenges of doing it. And so it, um, it's definitely can get scary. I bet. And what about on the other side, something that you did, um, maybe early on that ended up being one of your biggest successes? It goes back to that same thing, just taking, uh, you know, massive imperfect action. I, I don't have a lot of fear. You know, I've, I've been on the bottom and, uh, after, after my experience, then, you know, I, I, in 2007, I, I made a million dollars doing spec homes. Um, and then I lost more than a million dollars in 2008 and 2009. I didn't even know that's how it worked, but it, it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you can lose more money than you can make. So, uh, it was, you know, the recession really kind of hit me, but, but through some of those things, it's just shown me that, you know, there's always an opportunity to bounce back. And yeah, I've, I've been on the bottom before where I've lost all my money and, and, you know, these things tend to work out. It's not never the end of the world. Like we think it is, uh, you know, and especially after you've kind of come through that storm, looking back, you realize 
that it wasn't even near as bad as you gave it credit for. And so early on in my I career, I, I kind of had no fear. And I remember this fourplex that I bought that I had no reason buying. I had to beg and plead to borrow the money for it. And I ended up borrowing money at 20%, which is way more than I've ever paid before or since Ouch. just to try and get this deal done. And I ended up having to pay pretty much retail to get it done. But, you know, I just knew that it had potential. Um, and it ended up being, I still own that now. Um, and it ended up being, you know, I've, I've been able to do a cash out refinance on it. Uh, and it just pays for so many things in it. The cash flow on it is, I, I'll probably never sell it. It's such a good deal. But I really had no business doing it. On paper, it didn't make sense. But I just kind of took action anyway. And I think that um, that has served me better than anything else is just taking action when I when I know when I feel good about a deal. Sure. Just doing it. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a audience or folks that are approaching retirement or already in retirement and they're looking at real estate investing as a means to be able to either generate additional cash flow for their retirement or to maybe extend their nest egg. Um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people are looking at real estate. Um, um, what advice would you have from your experience that uh, would would be helpful for somebody starting later in real estate investing um, and, uh, you know, trying to generate, uh, you know, a, a good, good return? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. And I, I've seen a lot of those folks in my, you know, I, I do a lot of teaching fulfillment for seminar companies and other things. One of the things I would suggest is not to spend a, a fortune on a seminar education or something like that. Cause I, I find a lot of those types of people, you know, in their fifties, sixties, they've retired, they have money and they go spend $40,000 on a, on a education program when I don't know if that is maybe the best use because the, the problem is is they've got to take some massive action. And what happens a lot of times is they get into analysis paralysis where they're trying to do everything perfect because this is their nest egg. And that, that 40,000 could have been, I think done in a lot better way. I mean, people need to know themselves and be realistic. Flipping a house is hard. Yeah. And that's the thing that everybody wants to do. They want to flip houses. They see it on HGTV. They, on HGTV, they make it look easy. They see the things on Instagram and YouTube where they're like, I made a whole bunch of money with no one else's money. And they kind of get this idea that it, it's something that you can do, but you know, I'm, I'm getting close to my fifties. <laughs> I'm not going to want to be flipping houses as much as I do without a, a big crew and people. It's, it's a lot of work. It's kind of a young man's game to be honest. So to answer that question, I would say, you know, folks that have this money might want to look a little more into creating passive income by letting their money work for them. Whereas, you know, you get into house flipping, you, you end up doing a lot of work. People don't quite realize that. It's not it's just paying a contractor. And the less work you do, the more you pay, right? So you, you can hire a contractor and then you find you don't have any profit at the end because he took it all. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. so that's a, that's a negative thing. So one of the things I suggest people look at is lending, uh, especially if they've got a pretty good nest egg. I mean, it doesn't have to be a ton, but you know, people like me are paying 10 to 12% for our money all the time. And it's not, it's not uh, scary like cryptocurrency or stocks where it can just disappear after a while. I mean, if you're not into those things, it's, it's secured by real estate. And so it 
it actually ends up being a very safe investment for people. And you kind of let the young men do the young men's game. I mean, find people who are actually doing it, who have been successful at it and ask them, you know, will you pay for money? And you'll find that they do. So that's always a good thing to do. And then I have investors who have invested their nest egg with me and they get to come over to the house and see the flips and ask me questions and do all these kinds of things. And so they can kind of get a mentorship by lending money to an investor rather than just paying some company to kind of give them a bunch of info they can find on the web and, and other things, you know. Do you recommend that people go through some sort of a service company that, you know, will do the collections and stay on it and do that kind of thing? Or uh, do you think they should be active on that part of it as well? It kind of depends, I think, on the amount. You know, I think if anyone's talking about less than a hundred or $200,000, that they can probably just do it on their own. If you're going to go above that, then you're you're probably going to want to have a company or do do some other things with you. You know, and there's a lot of people that that you will want to bring in. You're going to want a good title company, an attorney to kind of help you with this lending and, and stuff like that. But if you find the right investors that you're going to invest in, a lot of them will have a lot of that kind of put together. And you know, it really comes down to trust between those those people. But it's a great way to get started. And to learn rather than just paying for education, you can learn by lending a, a successful person your money and saying, hey, as part of this loan, I want to I want you to walk me through the steps. I want to show up at the house and do these things. And, you know, we're all happy to offer that, especially when they've they're lending us their money that we're also paying them on that interest that never sleeps. You know? <laughs> so it can work out really well. That's great. Great advice. You know, you mentioned you're approaching uh, the old dog status here, and uh, you um, have this this great business and many and multifaceted businesses. It looks like here. Um, what what's sort of your your future? What are you looking at? What excites you about the future of your business and where you're going? Um, that's a great question. You know, I uh, I'm pretty happy, and I want to stay that way. And um, I I've found things that I get to do that I love. And that's kind of, you know, just working on these homes, creating good deals for people, you know, helping others to kind of bring this in and bring, bring, you know, this dream home for them as well. And so, um, you know, kind of future is going to be probably less flipping and more passive income properties, more, um, business ownership. You know, we started a, a property management company that does both nightly rentals and long-term rentals. And that's been great to kind of get into because I've always hated my property management companies. And so I wanted to do one that, that worked better. And so, you know, the future I think is going to be more of this. I, you know, retirement is kind of a funny thing when you can do it passively. I kind of think I'll be working forever, but I'll probably be spending less time in dingy old basements, looking at foundations and more time looking at, uh, you know, cap rates and different things that I can do on rental properties. And I think as time goes, I'll, I'll do more passive and less active, but, um, I just love what I'm doing. And so that helps, you know? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, it looks like you do. And, um, one thing that just really impresses me is the, um, the way you're giving back too, and, uh, uh, even it's it's like this buried treasure thing um and uh flipping houses for for people i mean t can you get in a little bit into those uh those areas and and what you're doing to give back uh, as you you know succeeded here and become successful yeah for sure um i think everybody 
when when you really talk to them wants to give back and and the more successful you get the more that becomes a thing because you start to realize how blessed you really are because success doesn't come to everybody and and so uh there's a lot of people that need help and identifying those and and helping in ways that you can help uh maybe different than someone else is is you know you you find yourself drawn to that the more successful you are and i think that goes across every industry and everyone that i've met you know it just kind of is a thing so I'm good at flipping houses, and uh, three or four years ago, we started at Christmas. We would find a family, and uh, we would tr- we would try and work something out where we could flip the house for them. And you know, and it started out small, where we would just like redo a kitchen or finish a basement or do something. And this last this last Christmas, we found somebody who had two of their members of their family die, and things have been pretty rough for them. And we actually got them a, a trip to Mexico for six days, a seven day all inclusive thing, and then we flipped their entire house in six days. It was actually astonishing, you know. But we brought a lot of people from the community together and got all everything donated. It was, it was kind of an amazing thing to see the goodness of people. And so we, you know, I try to do that every Christmas. Um, and, and we'll see if that turns into even more. I, I, you know, I don't know. The treasure thing, um, is just, you know, kind of goes back to let's, let's give, but do things that we love to do. And it was right at the pandemic where a friend of mine and I were talking and, you know, everyone was just kind of locked up in their houses and, it was just, you know, the feeling in society was just very dire. And, you know, we got these, these stimulus checks from the government that I don't even think we felt like we deserved, you know, because we were doing okay. And the pandemic didn't crush our business like it did a lot of others. And so we just thought, you know, we've always loved treasure hunting. It's kind of something we grew up on Indiana Jones and the Goonies and things like that. And, you know, we were kind of joking, like, wouldn't it be amazing if somebody did this? And, uh, so we, we ended up burying our first one was $5,000 and we wrote a poem up kind of the inspired by the forest fen treasure. I don't know if you're familiar Mm -hmm. guy. Uh, he buried like $3 million of art artifacts and people have been looking for it for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. (laughs) he He just, yeah, he just wrote one poem and you know, a lot of people wonder if it's even there, but we thought this is such a great idea. So we wrote a poem and buried it out in the mountains and, some guy found the first one in three days, but it was a massive hit success. And people were just so happy to have an excuse to get out and hike as a family and to go looking. And it, you know, people are discovering trails in their own backyard. They didn't even know existed. And here in Utah, we have the mountains just surround us. So we thought, man, we, we should do this again. And we've done five treasure hunts. Now our last one was actually $20,000. Wow. And, uh, it was massive, you know, like 15,000 people take part in it and, it just turns into a, a really fun, amazing way to give back. And the stories that come out of it aren't even so much about the one, the one family who finds the money. It's, you know, like marriages get together and teenagers are hanging out with their parents and not just playing video games and people are losing weight. And it just, it just ended up being such an amazing thing for the community, you know, around. So we're probably going to keep doing it for blast. <laughs> it sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It is great. Wow. That's neat. Well, our, our time has been zipping by here and, uh, we have moved into a segment we call, uh, wrap it up where I ask you a series of quick questions, kind of like a lightning round. 
it's just basically you're sharing resources that have been valuable to you with others listening. And uh, uh, if you're ready, we can go ahead and uh, wrap it up. Yeah, for sure. All right. Favorite real estate book? Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, same here. Pretty, that was the one, pretty great. One that yeah. Took, you know, took, changed my way of thinking, I'll tell you. Uh, how about just a favorite general business book? You know, I got to say, I, some people say this is dated, but uh, I feel like a ton of my success has come from How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think it's timeless. I mean, I've gotten out of speeding tickets from that book and gotten deals and all kinds of stuff. I think I, I can't say enough good things about it. I try to read it once a year. That's probably died down in the last little, but it's a phenomenal book. Great book. Yeah. How about a website that you use for, you know, for your business on, on a regular basis or for success? You know, I don't do a ton of web uh, anymore. I, I find that YouTube is probably the best helper to me. I mean, Bigger Pockets is great for people just starting out to get a lot of answers and stuff. But even uh, Instagram following hashtags like real estate investing, I get a lot more value out of some of those mediums now than I do just the, the web. Gotcha. Favorite app on your phone? Sheesh. Favorite app. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably YouTube. I mean, I I, uh, I I once redid all the electrical in my house from how-to YouTube videos. Something I don't recommend, <laughs> but I, I did have a, a licensed electrician come in, and I did a couple things wrong, and that was helpful. But I think uh, YouTube is a phenomenal way to share and see how things are done. I'm, almost every search I do on YouTube is how to blank. Yeah, it's and same here. you can here. just learn from other people that are doing it. So I, I, I'd say that's probably my favorite. That's great. How about a favorite quote? I, I'm going to go back to Star Wars on this. Master Yoda, try not, do, or do not. There is no try. It's just even when I was a kid, the mindset of that quote, just letting you know that you just have to go forward and take action. Uh, I love it. That's great. Great quote. Um, and then this one, which I imagine you would probably have no trouble doing, is uh, if you lost everything, all of your assets, and you had to start all over, knowing what you already know, uh, if and all you have is $1,000 cash, what would you do to relaunch your real estate investing business? Um, you know, uh, one thing I don't think people give enough credit for, in um, especially in real estate, is that your net worth is your network. And I would take that money, I mean, I would start going to RIAs. There's a hundred bucks right there, you know, to join my local RIA or another one. I'd start going to those meetings. I would identify the real players at those meetings and see if I could take them to lunch or coffee. And I would start working with the people that are doing the business as quickly as possible. I mean, uh, I wouldn't even need a thousand dollars if I if I lost everything and had a thousand to start here in Utah because I have such a good network. But if I was dropped into another place, I, once again, that's the first place I would start is on building that network as quickly as possible because that really is your net worth in this business is is the people that you know. Yeah, I think I'm all with you there. Everybody says real estate's location, location, location. I think it's people, people, people. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Relationships. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people here listening that would like to find out more about you, what you do, um, and uh, and you know what, what's what's sort of the best way for folks to to find out and and get plugged into what you're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Probably the the very best way is uh, I have a very active um, Instagram account where we do a lot of flipping, and it's just um, on the John at on the John with an H. <laughs> like H-N. Um, and so you can I, I, I respond to all my DMs there, uh, you know, in a short period of time, and um, it's it's a pretty way to get great way to get in touch with me. I also. Um, have a YouTube channel, which is flipping off, which is kind of, uh, the joke that this is more, more, more goofing off than anything. And so we flip houses and show that. And so, um, you can see me there. And then, uh, if anyone just wants to reach out, I'm happy, you know, if you want to send me an email at john at utahflipper.com. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quicker to the DMS on Instagram though. I'll be honest right. than the emails. That's great. That, yeah. Some people, I haven't quite got, I have my, my kids come in and they, they look at my, my social media and they go, dad, there's people that wrote you like six months ago and you never responded. So I'm going, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I've got to, I've got to learn to that one. Definitely. Um, well, uh, guy, John, this has been great, great stuff, you know, especially, you know, just that, uh, niche that you found early on of older houses too and and continue doing it i mean that's that's really amazing but uh just the way you've diversified and moved in so many different directions and, and especially how you're giving back all good stuff so um we have a tradition here that we have our guests uh, close us out with their own hound dog howl. Now I know Utah, you know, they have a lot of coyotes and stuff, but uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you can give us your, and you have, you have a dog, right? I do. I, I, you know, I have an English bulldog and she's getting to be old and her howl is, uh, I guess a little different. Let me see if I can give you, give me my best shot at that. So it's, it's more like this. It's a, she does that sound every time the fire trucks go by so it's more of a gurgling but she is making a howl with her so hope that works out and hey i i love the message you have here for people and i i'm really glad uh, to be able to speak with you and i hope to maybe do it again sometime it's it's been great so thank you so much for the opportunity oh i'd love to have you back on john you've got a lot of, a lot of good stuff i felt like i you know could have gone a lot longer here but uh you know i i, uh, I may well save that for next time so uh um, yeah for sure and i also want to thank all our old dog listeners out there i know there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now but the fact that you take the time to to listen to us really means a lot and uh we would really like to uh, let you know that, that everything that would happen today too we have in our show notes our detailed show notes so you, you can get all the details of things that john's talked about and the links involved as well as how to reach him and that can all be accessed at uh, old dogs rei network.com forward slash blog and you're going to look for the show with john maxim well, that's the show for today. Remember, cash flow is king and real estate investing the means. Until next time, keep moving forward and may God bless. Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.